Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to this week's episode of the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. I'm your host and producer of the Happy Hour, Olga Peters, and I'm very happy to welcome today the Secretary of State for the State of Vermont, Sarah Copeland Hansas, and welcome. Good morning, Olga. It's nice to be here. It's nice to be here, too, and I'm sorry Emily couldn't make it. She had a conflict. So. Busy times for her, I'm sure. I Yeah, talk about candles at both ends, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> you remember those days as I a former I sure do. <laughs> yeah, the legislative session is, uh, is jam-packed. Well, that was actually kind of one question I wanted to ask you, is do you miss it? So I miss the fun and the challenge of how you build a coalition around an idea or around a bill that you're trying to move. You know, that was always a part of legislating that I enjoyed the best. Um, I don't miss the unpredictability of this schedule. And, you know, you may have a, a late night or a long night because a floor debate goes on for a, a long time. And I really like it that my office is right across the street. So I can always go over and visit with my former colleagues. And I do have business in the building as well because Mm -hmm. we have work that the Secretary of State's office needs to move through the legislature. So I feel like I'm getting nice little doses of legislating. Nice little healthy balance. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And what brings you down to Brattleboro today? Because we are recording in the Vermontitude studio in Brattleboro, thanks to Peter Fishcase. Thank you, Peter. And yeah, you're going down to... I'm going to Brattleboro Union High School. That's right. And it's going to be this wonderful meeting. I mean, talk about bringing civics to the kids. We will have three levels of government presenting in front of the high school students today. We'll have their local municipal clerk, Hillary Francis. We'll have me as the Secretary of State. And then we'll have our congressional representative, Becca Ballant, there with us. And we'll be talking about voting, reminding those young people that this will be you know, their first opportunity to to dive in and vote on their municipal budget because now in Brattleboro, 16 and 17 year olds can participate in local government. And also reminding young people that if you turned 17 before uh, November 5th of 23, then you are eligible to vote in the primary on March 5th. So in other words, anyone who turns 18 before this November's election can participate in the presidential primary. And I think that's really exciting and something that, because it only comes up every four years, it's not necessarily top of mind. But we really do want young people to get in and get involved in uh, in choosing who our leaders will be. In preparation for this conversation, I was kind of looking up some of Vermont's laws, and I saw that your office, we're going to talk about elections folks first, and then we'll be talking about civics later in the show. But one thing your office is doing is working with a coalition called Students Learn, Students Vote to help more college students vote in elections. How's that going? Did any Vermont colleges opt in? or? Yeah, so there have been a number of Vermont schools that have participated in years past, and this will be the first time that our office is really pushing to promote sort of an all-in challenge, like let's get every campus in Vermont focused on how to inform and register young people to vote 
and then encourage them to actually exercise their right to vote when when election day comes. And so we've been having a great set of conversations with different Vermont campuses. We've got a, a couple of new campuses who've requested information uh, so that they can join the campus challenge. And the challenge is sort of, you know, on this concept that if you measure something, then you have something to to try to exceed next time around. And so we want to measure the extent to which students on campus on any given campus, are registered to vote either here in Vermont, if they consider Vermont to be their residence, or back in their home state, home community. So we want to measure voter registration, and then ultimately we want to measure voter participation because it doesn't do any good to to celebrate a high registration level if we don't actually get folks out there and voting in the elections. Mm-hmm. Well, on that note, we will be voting in the presidential primary in the first week of March. Yes. For many towns, that will be their town meeting week. And, but before we dive into the primary, because I think we have some quirks in the Vermont primary that's always good to remind people of. Mm -hmm. But before we dive into that, you know, folks will be voting for the presidential primary. They'll be voting for their local select board folks, their local school board folks, the fence viewer, the weigher of coal, you know, of all our lo- at our local level, what, Sarah, do you think is the most intriguing elected p- position? Oh, gosh. You know, <laughs> I've been spending a lot of time this year with municipal clerks because our office is the support and training for clerks in the number of their duties. And so I always think that your town clerk or your city clerk is a fascinating position because this is someone who not only has to be very technically proficient in understanding the statutory requirements and the deadlines and, you know, making sure that that everything is done to the specifications of the law, but they also have to be able to answer the phone and answer the question of, when is trick or treating in uh, you know on on Main Street this year? And oftentimes clerks in our communities, occupy this space where they are both deeply embedded in their communities and in the fabric of the, you know, the social network of the communities, but then they are also, you know, very well-trained and well-versed in uh, in following the Vermont statute and making sure that everything gets done to the letter of the law. And it's, a, I think, a, a unique and wonderful, very Vermont position. And if you don't know your town clerk, I recommend that you stop in sometime, not just to pay your taxes or to ask for a copy of your marriage license, but really just to say thank you and and how's it going? Three cheers for that. Yes, town clerks, as a reporter, I they're usually my first stop because they know everything. They've they got the sure finger do. on the pulse. They sure do. They're they're very special people in our communities. So let's talk people through the upcoming primary. I think what a lot of people forget in Vermont is that we have an open primary, and you don't have to belong to a party to vote a particular ballot. But would you walk people through? There's more nuance there than perhaps I've just given. Yes, yes, yes. So whether you're planning to vote in person on March 5th, 
or whether you're planning to request an absentee ballot either by calling your clerk and requesting one or stopping by and requesting one or going to your My Voter page and requesting your presidential primary ballot. For the presidential primary, the rules are not set by us as individual states. For the presidential primary, you have to actually declare which ballot you want to vote in. And so when you walk up to that check-in table on March 5th, or when you call your town clerk, they're going to say, which ballot do you want? It doesn't mean that you are a Democrat or a Republican, just because that's the ballot you happen to ask for that day. But your your preference will get recorded because that's the, the way this election is conducted. Mm-hmm. And in Vermont, we have the Democratic ballot, we have the Republican ballot, but we're not for this election because it's a presidential primary. We won't have the progressive ballot. Which, that is correct. Okay. Yes. Some people are used to seeing that when they do like the governor's right. vote or something like that. Yes. So talk to us a little bit about elections. I know you and I in previous conversations have talked a lot about democracy and protecting democracy. And your predecessor, Jim Condos, did a lot around elections to kind of shore them up and make sure people kept their faith in them. Mm -hmm. For you, that next phase of election work for you in your office, what does that look like? So, you know, I I was proud in the legislature to support the proposals that came from the Secretary of State's office. As you said, Secretary Condos was really focused on strengthening our elections and making sure that voter accessibility was put at the forefront because there is no substitute for being able to participate in free and fair elections. But what I've noticed over the years in talking with Vermonters about their plan to vote or their choices is that a lot of Vermonters choose not to participate because they don't feel like they understand what's going on. Hmm. You know, and I think it it's a testament to how deeply important voting is and is understood to be in this country and in Vermont that some people say, well, I don't want to vote because I don't know any of those people who are on the ballot. And so our work is really going to be focused on how do we make sure that Vermonters not only know who's on their ballot and what those people stand for, but also what is that position we're voting for? I mean, you, you've you rattled off at the top of the hour a few of the really quirky and interesting positions that exist in some of our municipal government, you know, the fence viewer and the weigher of coal and all of that. But in all seriousness, there can be challenges with remembering what what does a state's attorney do? Mm-hmm. What does the attorney general do? Who knows what the secretary of state does? <laughs> you know, so how do you know who you're going to choose for a particular office if you're not sure what the duties of that office are? And so we want to make sure going forward that we're out engaging with Vermonters in the communities, helping them understand how to do democracy, who makes the decisions that you care that so deeply about. And so, you know, this will culminate in the creation of a voter guide that every Vermonter will receive when they receive their November ballot. Ah, okay. Because, you know, back in the day, it used to be that the local paper would, you know, do an interview with each of the candidates running for fence fewer or weigher of coal (laughs) uh, or state representative or state senator. And 
you know, what we see is there's a lot of communities around the state where they don't, they don't have a local media outlet that has the capacity to do that. And oftentimes that leaves the candidates themselves to fill out dozens and dozens of questionnaires from different organizations with different ideas. And, and, you know, the organization may or may not publish everything that the candidate has submitted. What our office intends to do is to ask every single candidate to provide their website, their social media handles, their email address, a telephone number if they have a, a publicly listed telephone number, so that Vermonters can reach out and contact them if they have questions about what's written in their profile. And so we'll ask each candidate to provide us with a couple hundred words of who are you, what do you plan to do if elected to this office. And really, along with that, a listing of what each of the offices are that we are electing on a particular ballot so that Vermonters can do uh, their own vetting of whether they think someone's qualifications earn them the vote. Mm -hmm. And did you say the voter's guide will also give a description of what each position does and its duties? And Yes. Fantastic. Yeah, Yeah, I was speaking with someone in Springfield. Her name is Taylor. She's fantastic. She's the executive director of the Chamber of Commerce. But she recently held an event for the young professional group to come and meet their select board members, Great. you know, to, to build that connection. And she shared with me in an email that she's like, wow, it, it told me how much I don't know about even my local. And she grew up in Springfield. She's like, I, I things I didn't know about my own local government. So, right. yeah, there's a lot to learn. Yeah. And, you know, if you haven't been immersed in it, you know, you might not know all of the varied duties mm-hmm. that a local select board is responsible for. Yep. And I think that's one thing we should probably really name is I think a lot of people feel bad about not knowing the intricacies of their municipal government or their state government. And, you know, folks, just let that go. It's okay. (laughs) And, you know, I think rightfully people feel a little bit intimidated about something, you know, if you're not used to the lingo and you don't Mm -hmm. understand. And that's why I think it's so important for us to be out in the communities and really engaging with Vermonters to help them understand what these different positions are. Which level of government do I want to go to if my concern is, you know, that my neighbor's dog is constantly chasing kids off the school bus versus what level of government do I need to go to if what I'm concerned about is is the opiate epidemic and uh, substance abuse and I really want to be able to advocate for helping my neighbors tackle substance abuse. So, mm-hmm. you know, democracy is is supposed to enable each of us to petition our government to do for us as a community what we can't do for ourselves as individuals. But if you don't know where to start, how do you know which level of government to go to? So let's start getting that information out there so that people know how to make their government work for them. So true, so true. Are there any legislation or bills or anything that your office is putting forward during this legislative session to do with either town meeting or elections or anything you're you're working on? Yeah, so I think the short answer to that is no, because we <laughs> don't change election law in the middle of an election season, right? Mm. That would be like changing the rules in the middle of a game and you all 
probably learned on the elementary school playground that we don't change the rules in the middle of the game, right? That's um, very wise. Yes. <laughs> yes. And and we also don't, uh, you know, we don't want to to really engage deeply in what future changes we intend to make so as to not confuse people about what, wait, what is it? Are we doing that now? Or are you saying we're doing that in two years? You know, I would love to come back and talk with you about the things that I want to do in the future, because uh, we will be talking about voting in the presidential primary by ranked choice ballot in 2028. Oh, interesting. Yes. And so, you know, what that allows you is to say, hey, I really love this candidate, but I know he or she doesn't really have the momentum of, you know, the top candidates, but I'm going to vote for this person as my first vote because I believe in them. And then I know that I can give my second vote maybe to one of those candidates who who does have more momentum or, you know, seems to be more more likely to win. And so I think ranked choice voting really allows people to vote their heart and uh, and then also to throw their support through, uh, you know, behind folks who who need their support. Now, ranked choice voting is something that for folks who really have been watching elections is sort of a hot topic. How long has it been floating around sort of the Vermont government's ethos? Well, we've been talking about it for three or four years in earnest with a specific idea towards using it in the presidential primary. You know, there are a lot of elections in Vermont where you might only see one candidate, yeah, maybe two candidates if you're lucky. And so advocating to start ranked choice voting in some of those races maybe doesn't make as much sense. But, you know, when you look at our presidential primary ballot this year, there are six candidates who have registered on the Republican ticket. There are six candidates on the Democratic ticket. It's a perfect opportunity for people to use their ranked choice to really express their their feelings on who should win the Vermont presidential primary. What I find so exciting about that is, and regular listeners of the show will have heard me say this before, when it comes to democracy and a lot of our political processes, at least in Vermont, the earlier you get involved, the more impact your your voice has. So for example, the town budget, A lot of towns are building them now or have just finished building them in time for town meeting. So they might start in September working on their budget. Well, September is when you go to the select board and say, I want to see the library have more money Mm -hmm. or I want curbside trash pickup or I want, you know, something that might impact the budget or, you know, we want you to cut the budget. That's when you get involved because that's when the most choices can be made. Where on town meeting day, a lot of times it's an up or down vote or it's Exactly. A, yeah. Well, and the primary, to me, you have more power as a voter to vote who you really want than you do when all the, the candidates have been decided. Right. When the dust has settled and we get to November, you basically will have two choices. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, there's a, a third candidate, an, an independent candidate for president, but increasingly it's just down to two. So if you want to get involved, if you want to really energize, um, now is the time to be doing that in advance of Super Tuesday. And when will the ranked choice voting come in? So we are planning to implement that for the 2028 presidential primary. So it's four years from now. We will have forgotten all of these things that we talked about by then. (laughs) But I will start engaging with Vermonters after this year's presidential primary because I want to 
I want people to to know that it's coming to understand a little bit about what it is and what it can do for us. So in April and May, we'll start talking about, you know, what's what's the next primary going to look like? Mm hmm. Anything else for the upcoming town meeting or presidential primary that you think Vermonters should be aware of? I, I do think we need to remind people that we do have same day registration for voting, yes. which unorganized me has taken advantage of. It's a wonderful thing yes. through the town clerk for a loop. But oh, well, yes. <laughs> she still talks to me. <laughs> <laughs> they do their job. They do them very well. So the, I think the the thing that I would want to remind folks about voting for your for your local town meeting day for your March 5th ballot, as well as for the presidential primary is that you can do that voting now. So let's say you just moved to the community you're living in and you're not sure what you're going to be doing on March 5th. You're not even sure if your community holds a traditional town meeting on March 5th, but you do want to participate. Now is the time to contact the town clerk. You can go into their office during normal hours, you can call them on the phone, or you can go to your My Voter page, um, which is on the Secretary of State's website. And uh, if you just do a quick search engine, Vermont My Voter page, it'll take you right there. You can confirm that you're registered to vote. You can register there. If you're not, you can request your ballot. Or you can just go right into your clerk's office and uh, request your ballot. When you go to return your ballot, let's all remember that we've had some mail delays in the last few years, mm -hmm. right? The Postal Service isn't doing that overnight delivery in Vermont the way they used to. And so to get your ballot back to your town clerk, it has to be back by March 5th at the end of the day. And so you can drop it off at one of the mail drop boxes that are at most town clerk's offices. Uh, you can drop it back in the mail if you think you can uh, get it there quickly enough. Or again, you can go into the clerk's office and, and hand it right over to your clerk. And I, I have done this before too, Miss Lack of Organization. You can also run into your town clerk's office on voting day 10 minutes before the polls are about to close and say, I forgot to mail this back. Yes. And they will still accept it. Yes. <laughs> and they will shake their head at you and say, we gave you this like three weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> what have you been waiting for? <laughs> well, you know, life gets in the way. And that's why the laws and rules around voting are are really uh, tipped towards you being able to cast your ballot. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned the My Voter page a couple times, but in case people aren't familiar with it, would you just give us a quick outline how do you sign up, that type of thing? What kind of information do you need to sign up? That kind yes. Of thing? If you have your driver's license number or your social security number, that is how you can sign in, last four of your social or your driver's license number. And like I said, you can uh, confirm that you're registered to vote. If you've moved from one Vermont community to another, you can change your registration or you can register fresh and clean to begin with if you're new to Vermont or if you just turned 17 and want to pre-register to vote so that when you're 18, you can cast that uh, November ballot. So your My Voter page is going to run you through all of the steps on how to do that, as well as how to request your ballot. Thank you. You mentioned new to Vermont. Let's say they've they've moved to Vermont, the elections like a few days away, but they don't have a, li a driver's license yet. Do we have a waiting period in Vermont? 
you have to be a resident for so long before you can vote or anything like that? No, same day voter registration really means literally that you can, you know, you can move to Vermont on March 4th and go into your town clerk's office and, and register to vote. Or even, you know, on the day of, you will, you will want to reach out to your town clerk as soon as you move into the community, because oftentimes they're very busy on the day of our elections. Mm -hmm. So if you want to go to your My Voter page to check it out now, that's mvp.vermont.gov. You can do all of that legwork ahead of time. And isn't it wonderful that MVP is my voter page and most valuable player? Because exactly. when you're a voter, you are. Be a hero. <laughs> Be a voter. Thank you so much, uh, Secretary Copeland-Hansis. Any last-minute thoughts before we head to break? So I just want to put in a little plug for something that we like to call BYOB. And that is if you've requested your ballot and it's been mailed to you, and you decide you want to go on election day to cast your ballot, BYOB, bring your own ballot with you. It will save a lot of paperwork uh, because if the clerk already has a ballot out to you, uh, he or she will need to require you to fill out a form if you are asking for a second ballot. So bring your own ballot. Perfect. And that's to prevent duplicative votes, right? Absolutely. One person, one vote. So folks, stay tuned. And when we come back, the Secretary of State's office has been doing a lot around civics and education and engagement. And so you you want to be there for that conversation too. So don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome back to the second half of the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WVEW 107.7 LP Brattleboro, your community radio station. I'm your host and producer of the show, Olga Peters. I'm so glad you can be joining us today. Before we dive in with our rest of our conversation with the Secretary of State, I want to quickly thank Brattleboro Community Television, aka BCTV, for sharing our podcast and the Zoom video of our show with media centers around the state and New England. I also want to thank today Peter Case, who is graciously loaned us our Vermont, his Vermontitude studio in Brattleboro so we could actually meet in person and have real things like microphones. It's so very exciting. And finally, just to let folks know, unfortunately, Emily Kornheiser, our regular contributor, couldn't make it today, but she shall return soon. And the views and opinions of everyone on the Montpelier Happy Hour are their views and opinions, and not the radio stations, not the platform, not their bosses, not their best friends, not their cousins, not their pets, not their houseplants, just theirs. So without further ado, welcome back to the show, Secretary of State Sarah Copeland hands us. Very glad you can be here. It's so great to be here. <laughs> In this half, we really want to talk about a lot of the work you're doing around civics and civics education. And Vermont was, if I understand correctly, is one of 35 states who is working with an organization called National Conference on Citizenship to do a civics health index. I think this is super exciting. Let's hear more. <laughs> yes, it is absolutely exciting. We are really 
we're about to hit mock speed with this project. Robin Palmer, who is our education and civic engagement uh, coordinator, is uh, is assembling a wonderful group of individuals and organizations from around Vermont. You know, the backbone of the Civic Health Index, we like to call it the chi just because there's fewer syllables there. (laughs) The backbone is really taking census data about what, what Vermonters do, what they participate in, and using that to to sort of paint a picture of how civically engaged Vermonters are. But I wanted to make sure that because we are a small state and mm-hmm. because we are, by the classic definition, we are a rural state, I wanted to make sure that we really dive deep down in and understand what different communities, what different segments of our population in Vermont might be doing in terms of engaging in their communities and engaging in government and in um, in voting as the more traditional civics lens. Because I didn't want to come up with a civic health index that was just an opportunity for us to pat ourselves on the back because, mm. you know, we're so civically engaged. I want to know where are people less civically engaged? Who are the groups, whether it's a demographic group, you know, a geographic uh, subsection, where are the Vermonters who aren't as apt to get out and vote or mm-hmm. as apt to write a letter or an email to one of their elected officials? Because I think that's really going to give us the probably the five-year roadmap of where we focus our education and civic engagement going forward. We have, as I said, that sort of rough picture that is provided to us by the census data. But then we're diving in with all of these other community groups, you know, the Pride Center, NAACP, New Americans, Newport Community Justice Center, Williston Community Justice Center, our regional planning commissions. You know, these are entities that sort of exist, you know, maybe midway between our local government and our state government. You know, the University of Vermont has a center for the study of Vermont, you know, Vermont Center for Independent Living, where our, uh, how do we get information about how folks that, that the Center for Independent Living serves in Vermont and, and how engaged they are in their communities. And so it's just an opportunity to pick up the puzzle and really look at all sides of it so that we're seeing in every corner of the state how people are engaging with their neighbors and in their communities. What I find so exciting about this chi is in the first half of the show, we were talking about voting and and showing up and voting and that that is a really important part of democracy and a healthy democracy. However, there's a lot of people in our state who, for whatever reason, are not able to vote. Maybe they're a new American or or something like that. And so they're not able to vote. But just because you, you don't vote or you can't vote doesn't mean you can't participate in democracy and help keep it healthy. Right. And, you know, increasingly there are communities in Vermont who feel that it's really important that even people who are not yet citizens have the ability to vote in their local elections. And so Montpelier and Winooski were the first communities to do that. Burlington is following suit so that even in advance of becoming a citizen, you can vote on your local municipal budget. But there are many other ways, as you said, to get involved in the community because you can volunteer to to serve on the Recreation Commission. 
You can volunteer to coach a youth sports team. You can help your neighbors through a a civic or religious organization. And all of those are measures of the civic health of a community that go beyond simply showing up on election day and filling out a ballot. Mm -hmm. I know the work that you're doing is still fairly new. For example, Robin's position that you mentioned was only created last year. And so you're still ramping up. But I'm wondering, have you seen anything that surprises you or what are you learning about civic engagement in Vermont so far? So I was not surprised to learn that with that original look at the the census data, that Vermont ranks very high among the states who've done a civic health index in terms of our rate of volunteerism. But that rate is still only 18%, I think, is the the number that I heard. And (laughs) I think, but I think that that's not actually true. I think that the way the question is asked, and I'm hoping that when we dive in with data and and information from many of these other groups that, that we will be able to confirm this. But I suspect that the way the question is worded means, you know, do you go down to your local humane society and volunteer? Or mm-hmm. are you a part of a church group that, uh, you know, that volunteers? But as we saw this past summer, when these devastating floods hit so many communities in Vermont, volunteers were everywhere. Mm-hmm. People were stepping up, whether it was babysitting for your neighbor so that they could muck out their basement and figure out whether their furnace was salvageable or whether it was actually getting into one of your neighbor's homes and helping them clean out the damaged and destroyed furniture and and clean up after the flood. Volunteering is what we do. We all know that being neighborly is is, you know, not just letting someone borrow a cup of sugar, but it's pulling them out of the snowbank when mm-hmm. you drive by them, you know, on a cold <laughs> January night. And so I think that if we define that volunteerism more as uh, service to your neighbor, I think we'll find where all of those other definitions of volunteerism um, are seen in Vermont, Mm -hmm. like we did during the flood. And what about engagement? You know, there's, while our democracy in theory is supposed to be open to everybody, let's face it, there have been whole swaths of our society who have not been allowed to participate, whether it's based on race or gender or what have you. What are you hearing from perhaps groups who have been traditionally locked out of the the conversation? Yeah. So, you know, what we want to learn from all of these different groups is what are the barriers, right? Mm -hmm. You know, when we talk with a disability rights organization, we want to know what are the barriers for people with physical disabilities or visual disabilities or hearing challenges? What are the barriers for people with mental health disabilities? And how can we make sure that we are asking the system to adapt in order to welcome and encourage participation as opposed to asking the human being to the sacrifice to adapt or to simply choose not to participate because they don't feel like they fit in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I look forward to hearing those those conversations. And do you have a sense of when some of this data might be ready for more public consumption? 
Yeah, you know, 2024 presents a pretty steep timeline here in terms of getting ready to do that voter guide Mm. um, because the voter guide is going to take an intense amount of time from our office um, in the summer and early fall. So I'm not sure that we will have the ability to say, here's the five-year plan (laughs) this spring, but it is a project that is ongoing, and I'm hoping that we can give little sneak peeks and previews along the way so that Vermonters can can sort of do a gut check and let us know if, if they think we've missed any valuable information. And as I said, it will become the roadmap for what we do in future years. There are many other projects that we're doing within this education and civic engagement realm. The the CHI is just one of them. So we're going to have fun juggling and trying to figure out how to, how to keep all of those projects moving forward. Mm-hmm. I'd love to talk to about more some of the other projects, but again, let's bring this back to something concrete is... Why civics? Why do you feel that having a strong civic skill as a citizen is an important part of protecting our democracy? I look at what the alternative is, and I think the alternative is a road that we've been moving down for a long time, which is that increasingly more and more people feel disenfranchised from mm. the democratic process. And and I see this in particular in the the younger generations, you know, the folks who are my kids' ages, you know, early to mid-20s, really feel, feel disillusioned with mm-hmm. the lack of responsiveness of our government to some of the concerns that are staring these kids in the face. These are kids who have been doing lockdown drills since they were in kindergarten. Yeah. And yet they see no movement on sensible gun safety reform that would uh, do a better job of ensuring that we are no longer the anomaly in terms of your risk of getting gunned down in a movie theater or a school or uh, even a place of worship. These are kids who are staring climate change in the face and, and realizing that you know, the next 80 years of their lives might well be very different than the childhood that you and I experienced. Mm -hmm. And I want folks to understand how do you wrestle your government into doing the things that you need them to do for your own future, for your own health and safety? Because I, I fear that if we don't teach folks how to do this, we are going to lose in the end. Our democracy will lose in the end. And democracy was really built supposed to be built so that the people could tell their government what to do. And so that's why I'm so passionate about making sure that uh, the Vermonters understand how to do that. Well, I appreciate you putting that in terms of skills, too, that that these are skills anybody can learn, Mm -hmm. even though sometimes working through the nuances of of government can be a little frustrating because there's so many. (laughs) Yes. Uh, It's still they are skills that we can build and they are muscles that we can build. And First Amendment, petition your government. Exactly. Redress of grievances is right in there. Exactly. Yes. So talk to me. You mentioned kids. 
I'd love to segue to some of the work you're doing with, I think it's K through 12 students. Yes, absolutely. We want to make sure that more teachers in Vermont feel supported and equipped to uh, to help their students understand how to be civically engaged, right? Learning about civics is is more than just knowing that there are three branches of government and that we have checks and balances between the three branches. You know, teachers are in an ideal location to help kids understand, you know, what how government works for them, whether that is inviting an elected official to come for a classroom visit, whether that is taking a walking field trip down to your local town clerk's office. Um, you know, so many of our teachers in Vermont want to do these sorts of things, but maybe they've never actually visited the town clerk themselves. And so they're, you know, a little unsure of, of exactly how to structure that. And so what we did is we brought together a group of Vermont teachers to be in a teacher advisory group and to really help us understand how can we create materials that teachers can very easily plug and play into what they are already doing with their uh, with their classrooms. So many teachers, I hope, have already seen a copy of the Freedom and Unity comic book, which was a collaboration between our office and the Vermont Humanities Council and uh, was created by the fabulous artists at the Center for Cartoon Studies. It's a great White. comic book, yes. yes. Yes, and the subtitle of that is a, you know, a guide to civics and democracy in Vermont. Well, there are weeks and weeks of uh, potential deep dive lessons that teachers can do out of that. And so we're hoping that one part of what this teacher advisory group does is come up with some lesson plans that Mm -hmm. you can use uh, that comic book to help guide. We're going to do a guide to a visit with an elected official so that teachers can feel a little bit more comfortable with, well, how do you reach out to that elected official and what should you tell them to expect when they come to your school? We'll do the the elected official side of that as well. Here's the recommendation to elected officials on how to talk with uh, students of different ages and and what to do when you go to a classroom visit. And so, you know, this teacher advisory group is, you know, these are professionals who are doing this work in their classrooms right now, and uh, they can help us curate mm-hmm. a, a list of support materials that teachers might be able to use in their classrooms across the state. Mm. What what I find exciting about this is I think sometimes when you're younger, and of course I'm probably dating myself, but I'm I'm one of those Gen Xers who's you know pre-internet and internet life. But I remember I used to have a teen magazine that I subscribed to as a kid, and every big election on the national stage, they'd give questions that were important to teens. Mm-hmm. to elected officials and then publish them in these teen magazines. And that was some of my early like understanding of how people might have different thoughts on different topics and how they would approach them and what they thought was a good plan or a bad plan or that type of thing. I don't know. I felt it made me feel better and it made me feel more empowered yeah. as as a teenager. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I have also seen the impact that young people have when they bring their voices to elected leaders. You know, when I was in the legislature, I was uh, the the co-chair of the Climate Solutions Caucus. And for many years, you know, climate action was sort of a dirty word around the building in Mm. the statehouse. And I found that very frustrating because (laughs) I'm like, this is sort of an existential crisis. Why can't we talk about it? 
But the thing that really broke open the topic of climate action was when the youth climate lobby started to organize. Mm. And this was a group of young people from elementary school age up to folks who were in college and everywhere in between. They organized, they came together and had a climate congress. They passed a resolution of values of what they wanted to see Vermont's elected leaders do to address climate change. And they came back to the state house and hand delivered the resolution to every single committee chair in the state house. And they sat down and talked with elected officials about why they were so passionate about it, why they'd given up so much of their time to come together and create this document and then come back and deliver it. And it changed a lot of hearts and minds mm. when they saw these young people articulating, hey, we're not even sure that it's going to be safe for us to have children when we grow up because we don't know what a changing climate might do. Please act on climate now. And it enabled us to break that logjam and, and pass the Global Warming Solutions Act. And now we're moving, uh, toward the current legislature is moving towards 100% renewable energy standard. We are making progress on climate in a way that we never would have if those young people hadn't gotten organized. That it's that's so powerful. I had forgotten about that. So thank you for the reminder. And looking ahead to this work with the the teachers coalition, do we have a timeline for when some of these lesson plans might roll out? Yeah, you know, the thing that you might understand if you've ever uh, been close with a teacher is that the school year is really busy, mm. and it is uh, it is often hard to squeeze out of a, a work week a few extra hours here and there. So we're working at the pace that we can support that teacher group in getting some of this uh, stuff done. We also are looking at bringing on some summer paid intern help to, I think, really recognize that, you know, summertime might be a better time to engage in in doing some of this uh, more hands-on work through the teachers, teacher advisory group. So we are building this at the pace that we can get <laughs> the expertise that we need because it doesn't do any good for us to write something from our lofty perspective about how important it is to vote. Mm -hmm. What we need to do is make this something that teachers can plug and play and, and use in their classroom uh, in a really seamless way. And in order to do that, we, we need to have their input on it. Before we wrap up the show, what do you want to leave listeners with? Sky's the limit. I can yeah, go anywhere I want. Go for it. So I want to talk with folks about one other program that is uh, near and dear to my heart in our office, and that is our Safe at Home program. Okay. This is a program that's existed for 20 years or more in Vermont. But we are really giving special focus to it in order to bring the program sort of into the 21st century. The Safe at Home program is a, is a mail forwarding program that allows the enrollees to keep their physical address private. Uh -huh. So originally, as it was conceived, it was for victims of stalking or human trafficking or domestic abuse. Mm -hmm. The legislature expanded it to uh, providers and recipients of certain kinds of protected health care, such as reproductive health care or gender affirming care. I think we can all recognize in the national context that we're in right now that providers and recipients of, of those protected health care classes might 
not want to uh, be as visible and available to that kind of bullying, stalking, hazing, harassment that we're seeing uh, happening in other parts of the country. And so we're, we we want to bring this program into the 21st century by allowing enrollees to enroll online without having to print out a form and mail it to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also want to make sure that we do a better job of getting word out there into every corner of Vermont. So if you know someone who might be concerned about about keeping their physical address confidential, uh, please tell them about the Safe at Home program. You can find that on the Secretary of State's website. And what's that website? Well, that's a great question. I think I know it, but I don't dare guess. I, I honestly, you know, Safe at Home can can oftentimes be found just by a quick search engine. But sos.vermont.gov is our basic website, and you can find the Safe at Home program or your My Voter page and many other resources on the Secretary of State's website. As always, it's it's such a pleasure being a little bit of a democracy nerd. I know we're kind of getting ready to wrap up, but I did just have one last thought, and we have a couple minutes. One thing that stymies a lot of people is Robert's Rules of Order. Mm-hmm. Do you happen to know, and if you don't, it's okay, but do you happen to know of any resources like Robert's Rules of Orders for Dummies? for folks who are just feeling frustrated and they don't know how to participate in town meeting because they can't work through. Yes, yes. Well, I always use YouTube University when I need to find out something that I don't I know off the top of my, yeah, I, of my head because I'm sure that there's an explainer on there from someone who is a democracy nerd. But you can also go to the municipal division at the Vermont Secretary of State's office and you can find a number of different resources as well as the rules of procedure and ethics manual. A lot of that's going to be written sort of in that technical jargon. I think what's important for people to remember about Robert's Rules of Order is it's really intended to be a leveling platform so Mm -hmm. that no one person or group of people gets to dominate the conversation. It's intended to be sort of the rules of how you conduct that meeting that allows people to make a motion to change, you know, to change one of the questions that's coming before the body. It allows people to speak and debate, but without allowing that one person, because, you know, every community has that one person or those couple of people (laughs) who just want to, you know, occupy Uh all the space. And so that moderator at the front of the room who's following Robert's Rules of Order is really doing it in order to make sure that everybody gets a chance to speak. That can be really intimidating when you're not used to it. And so I'm going to do a little bit of research and see if I can find something uh, out there on the web that will be more of a an explainer for uh, for newbies. But don't let it intimidate you because the purpose of it is 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 really to make sure that you or any other individual in the room gets the opportunity to say their piece. Thank you for that. And just a reminder to folks, you know, most town moderators are pretty forgiving. So if you stray outside of the quote unquote rules, they're usually very gentle about explaining why and how to go, how to do what you want to do by following and and following the rules. They can usually walk you through that even in the middle of a meeting. Yeah. So a little a little bit of uh, advanced planning definitely helps and many town moderators will actually meet you and have a cup of coffee. Yes. And if you explain to them what you're hoping to do or what you're trying to do, they'll give you a, a hint on how to do it. 
Well, thank you. On that note, I know you have to get to BUHS. So, Secretary of State Sarah Copeland, Hansas, so glad you were, or Hansas, sorry, I always go Hansas. I don't know why, but I'm always glad to talk to you, regardless <laughs> of how badly I screw up your name. Take care, folks. Have a good weekend.